Father, we glorify you this evening. We ask, Lord, that you would be continually glorified. That you'd be glorified in the teaching and preaching of your word. You'd be glorified in the way we receive it. Father, we ask even more than all of that, that you would be glorified and your word would be glorified as we live this word out. As we allow it to change us and transform us. As we allow it to work it out in our own lives, we will see the glory of God. Father, we know that this word has been set to change us, to energize us, to restore us, to correct us, and to do whatever it needs to do. We open our hearts, and we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see what you'd have us see. You'd open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. And, Lord, that you would open our hearts to understand it, so that this word does not uh, just go shallow into our hearts, but it takes deep root, bears much fruit, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, would you turn it to the book of Acts, chapter 13. And uh, we are going to read a little bit out of Acts and a little bit out of the book of Philippians. They are, the the sections we're going to read, as far as the timeline of biblical history, are not really related. But uh, as far as I believe what God would have to say to us tonight, they are related. Um, and that is on the on the issue and on the thought of uh, God's joy being present and active in our life as a, as a gift, as a working of His grace, not as a response to circumstances, not as a, a response to words, not as a response to other people, but as a direct infilling of the Holy Spirit. That is what it's got to be. We talked a few months ago about joy. Um, and it really feels that the Lord is bringing this up in, in my spirit again to, to hammer this in and to uh, bring out through the Word the importance of rejoicing, not just joy. Because tonight, what we're really going to see through the Word is how joy takes action, how, how we see it acted out, how we see it um, come to us to start with. We, we talk about joy as a noun a lot. You know, having joy, experiencing joy. Uh, continuing in joy. But tonight, I think we should focus a little bit on how that joy is, is active, how it first comes to us, and then how it, it's drawn out in us. Because you can have joy without it having much effect, just like you can have the Word in your heart without it having the effect it needs to have. How many of you know you can hear the Word, you can know the words, you can read the Word, but unless there's something else happening, that Word is not doing what it's meant to do. You've got to, what does the Scripture say? Speak the Word, meditate on the Word, think the Word. You've got to do the Word, right? James says if you're not doers of the Word, you're like somebody who looks in the mirror and forgets who he is. When he turns away, forgets who he is, and um, you, you lose yourself. So, so in this, in having joy, in being filled with joy, it's just like being filled with the Spirit. This is one of those things. You get filled with the Spirit. It is not a one-time deal. Never was, was it? Acts 2, what happens? Can somebody tell me the big event in Acts chapter 2? Day of Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, right? Huge. Acts 4, Peter and John get arrested. And they're threatened severely. Now, now this is not just a mild threat. We would prefer you not do this, or we're not going to let you speak in the temple anymore. This is kind of a... We, I mean, you see, the warning was they got, you know, beaten severely. That's the warning. 
I've never got a warning like that. You know, I've had a warning that was like, I'm warning you or I will beat you severely. But nobody's ever followed through on that. And the, the beating the severely was not the, I let you off easy this time. I only beat you and bloodied and bruised you. That's all we did. We could have done much worse. I mean, this, this is a severe warning, yeah? So what do they do when they go back? They understand that this is a real threat. This is not just the Jews flexing their muscles. This is not just the, the chief priest trying to look tough in front of the rest of the congregation. This is a real threat. You've got to remember, they just killed Jesus. They're not afraid to do something else. I mean, look, guys, Jesus enters Jerusalem with his disciples telling him, if you go to Jerusalem, you will die. We sometimes, the, the, the last couple weeks of Jesus' life were so huge in, in the history and in the Gospels that we forget that all that stuff happened within a period of a very short period of time. I mean, uh, all pretty much the, the biggest chunks of the book of John that we love and we revel in were like his last words. Lazarus being raised from the dead... That was the last time when Lazarus died and he says, I'm going down to him. That was one of the last things he said in his own region. Remember what happened? He went down to... Now, uh, where Lazarus died was not Jerusalem itself, but it was an outlying village just by Jerusalem. His disciples say, you go there, you'll die. And, and finally, Thomas says, well, fine. He's going to go to die. Let's go die with him, you know? We'll be good soldiers. We'll at least go die with him. That's the best we can do. See, Thomas may not have had a lot of faith, but he was loyal. So this is all right. Let's go die, let's go die with him. And uh, they go down, and Lazarus is raised from the dead. Not long after that, what happened? Triumphal entry, entry into Jerusalem. What are they talking about? The disciples that went ahead of them, the Scripture says that they're talking and telling people about Lazarus getting up from the dead. This is fresh on their mind. So then Jesus is killed. They're wanted men in Jerusalem so much that they don't even dare show their face. So much that Peter denies Jesus three times. That's Peter, full of boldness, full of guts, full of bravado. He's the one that denies Jesus. They wait three days. Jesus gets up from the dead, appears to them, spends 40 days with them, then tells them to wait. They wait about 10 days then they get filled with the Holy Spirit and Jerusalem that bed of snakes in which they were wanted men in which the moment Jesus sets his foot they find an easy way to have him crucified this is where the ministry begins they don't go back to Galilee they stayed in Jerusalem this is proof of anything. This is proof of the resurrection power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to give them boldness. That they're able to take their stand. The twelve take their stand in front of all of these hostile witnesses and some devout pilgrims and see God move through a powerful sermon. All of this is happening, but you've got to remember, Jerusalem is still the most dangerous place that they've been in so far. Now, they haven't yet gone to all of these Greek cities. They haven't yet gone to Turkey. They haven't yet gone to what, when I say Turkey, I mean what we call Turkey now. They haven't yet gone to Samaria. They've just been, I mean, they're remembering the good old days in Galilee where people liked us. Those days are gone. Have fun. I hope you enjoyed that because you are now in the era where some people are going to love you and some people are going to hate you. And as they get up and preach... Of course, we say they're threatened. They come back to the church. 
staying in Jerusalem, they gather with the group of people and they say, here's what we've got to do. This is a real threat. This is a real threat on our lives. What do we do? We pray. And the moment they prayed, what did they pray for? They asked for boldness. They asked for God to take note of their threats. Now that's no small thing. God, take note of their threats. What does that mean? We're giving that to you. This means we're not going to worry about the threats anymore. You take note of them. They're your business now, not ours. Their threats are now in your hands, just like our lives. So they say, take note of the threats and grant your bondservants that we may speak your word boldly, with boldness, that you would extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders would take place of the name of your servant Jesus. They say more than that, but I'm just paraphrasing. So all of this happens, right? This is really great. They've been threatened. They come out. And what, what is God's response to this prayer? They are once again, the place shakes. And they are all, all filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the folks that were there in Acts chapter 2. These were the folks that were in the upper room, plus a lot of other disciples that have joined them. But they were all people that had been filled already, but they need to be filled again. The result of that infilling is a fresh boldness. The result of that infilling is all of a sudden, they now begin, what does it say? It says, great grace is on them all. Once they get totally refilled with the Holy Spirit, God shows them how to share everything alike. They claim nothing as their own. These are results of the Spirit in their life. Miracles are taking place left and right. And of course, you know, they get hauled before the chief priests again, but that's another story for another time. So there was a, there was a continual filling that needed to take place. There wasn't just a day of Pentecost. That's it. We're good for life. We're always full. Even in the great apostles, even in Peter and John, there needed to be fill us again. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. See, we can get real stuck up because we had an experience 20 years ago and say, well, at least we're not like them and point to another church that doesn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Point to another church that doesn't believe in the speaking in tongues and say, well, look where we believe in this, but you can be just as low as the moment you first got baptized in the Holy Spirit because you haven't been continually filled with that Spirit. Doesn't mean we have to have a service and ask for it every time. You should be doing this on your own time. You should be Spending time in His presence. As you spend time in His presence, He fills you with Himself. As you open that Word, He fills you with Himself. As you live it out, He fills you with Himself. This is abiding in Him, as Jesus said. I mean, oh, how wonderful to abide. Because when you abide in Him, He says, I abide in you. As you abide in me, I'm abiding in you. As the more you are abiding in him, the more you are filled with him. This is the wonderful thing. But now, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about how joy fits into the picture. Joy is, is just continually tied to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Joy is tied to being filled with the Spirit, being filled with joy in the same manner, in the same way, and they're linked. Let's read in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 44. Uh, we're going to start with Paul and Barnabas, who have preached first to the Jews, because that was uh, Jesus' assignment. He said, preach to the Jews first, then all these other places. They believed that the Jews had the right to hear the gospel first. 
because Jesus came first to them than to the rest of the world. Um, as God's people, they had a right to hear it first and had a right to accept or reject it. Many accepted it, many rejected it. They made their choice, and Paul then moved on to the Gentiles. In Acts 13.44, it says, The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. That's huge, isn't it? Nearly the whole city assembled. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, isn't that ironic? By judging themselves worthy on their own, they were actually judging themselves unworthy. Romans 10 says, By grasping on, trying to establish their own righteousness, they neglected the righteousness of God. So in, it's, it's strange, but, but by judging themselves wrongly, in other words, what was the wrong judgment? On our own, we are sufficient. By judging themselves that way, they were judging themselves unworthily. You can accidentally judge yourself, and this is not a good thing. You can accidentally bring judgment upon yourself by making the wrong judgment. It says in uh, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, says that if they judge the body of Christ wrongly, they drink judgment upon themselves. This is obviously for another time, but you see what they're saying here. Is because you judged yourself worthy on your own, you judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Isn't that an awesome thing? <laughs> Isn't that awesome to hear? When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. So there's Gentiles in the crowd that are like, yeah, you won't take them, we'll take them. This is good news for us. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as who has, had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews, and, and, and I unfortunately, you get tired of hearing that phrase, but the Jews. There's some great testimony, and then he goes, but the Jews, you know, and, and you, you may get arrogant and say, those Jews, but come on, you could easily substitute the word, but the religious people. You know what I mean? In, in the modern day, it's not the Jews that are causing the problem here. It's anybody who seeks to establish their own religion above, above Jesus Christ, above the word of the Lord. And seeks to make that their do make make doctrine Lord instead of Jesus Lord. So, but the Jews, unfortunately, incited the devout women of prominence. So these are these are the women who are influential in the city, who are um, people who've been involved in the in the temple in the synagogue. They've been very involved in the Jewish faith. They've been um, some of the people that should have got born again right away. But instead, the Jews incited them and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust off their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium. So that's what Paul and Barnabas do. They go away. How nice for them. What about all these Gentiles that were there? They don't get to go anywhere. They got families. They got jobs. They don't get to go to Iconium. Can we go with you? No, you can't. You have to stay here, really. So Paul and Barnabas shake off the dust off their feet. Now watch what happens in the next verse. And the disciples, so this is not Paul and Barnabas. 
These are the disciples who are left in the city that hates them. These are the disciples that are left in the riot. Thank you, Paul and Barnabas. You started a riot. And Paul and Barnabas goes, you guys will be fine. Shake the dust off our feet. We're leaving. And the disciples go, okay. Instead of being mad, discouraged, depressed, what happens? They were continually filled. This means more than once. This means a continual process. It didn't mean one day this happened. It meant throughout this, they were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You notice it doesn't say they were continually full. It says they were continually filled. What is filled? The action of making full, right? So you just can't say they were continually full. They were always full. It says they were it doesn't say they were always full. It says they were always filled. Which means that somebody's doing the filling, right? Who's that somebody? Well, it is the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And as they are continually filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy, they are able not to just withstand and tolerate the persecution, but thrive in it. This is cool. And it's all throughout the Scriptures. You, you would be hard-pressed to find a group of believers in the New Testament that don't get persecuted. It's a treasure hunt. It's very hard to find. But the ones that overcome are the ones that are continually filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. And if it doesn't say it in those words in the Scriptures describing them, you see it in the fruit of their lives. When God said to Joshua, be strong and very courageous, be strong and of good courage, those things go together very well. Because that courage is an inner strengthening, a strengthening of your inner man as a resolve of heart. Remember we were reading about the, the uh, tribesmen in, in the uh, story of Deborah and Barak who had, what did it say, great resolve of heart so they didn't run away. They had great resolve of heart so they actually chased the enemy that was stronger than them. Well, this is what courage is. It is a strengthening of your inner man. And that strengthening of the inner man causes you to be strong on the outside, doesn't it? So if courage strengthens you, what do you think discouragement does? It weakens you. It makes you weaker. If courage makes you stronger, discouragement makes you weaker. So you may think that you have a right to be discouraged. And you probably do. The only thing is you gave those rights up when you got born again. You don't have a right to be angry. You don't have a right to be unforgiving. You don't have a right to do any of this stuff. Now, doesn't mean you can't. just means you gave that right up when you said you were Lord. You realize we, you, we gave a lot of rights up when you said Jesus is Lord. You can always try to take those rights back, but it's not in your best interest to do so. When you say Jesus is Lord, in fact, it's rebellion to do so. You don't want to do that. So, when you said Jesus is Lord, you gave up the right to be angry. You gave up a right... I mean, I'm talking about unjust anger. I'm not talking about the righteous anger. Because the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. But I'm talking about uh, your right to, to get mad at, at another brother or sister who's done something to make you offended. You gave up your right to be unforgiving. You gave up your right to hold a grudge. You gave up your right to be discouraged and hold a pity party. They're fun for a while. And misery loves company. That is a true statement. You want people to join with you in this. I am depressed, and I have a good reason, and I would appreciate that you would be depressed with me. 
know, the Scripture does say mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice, but it's, it's not quite so clear as, as, as just everybody that's sad, be sad with them. I mean, this is talking about, uh, well, somebody's got a good reason to do this. We'll get into that another time. But being discouraged is a weakening of your faith. When you're discouraged, the Scripture talks about those who were discouraged. The Israelites were discouraged about the way that they took. There were di- many times, and uh, I heard Keith Moore preach a great message on this, about being discouraged because of the way that, that, that things turn out, because of the way that God chooses to take you uh, to the promised land. You become discouraged because you had it all planned out how He was going to do it. If He does it differently, you can allow yourself to get discouraged, and when you're discouraged, you're weakened. And it keeps you from inheriting, and it keeps you from going in. And the if you keep if you let discourage can, discouragement continue, what happens? You begin to grumble, you begin to complain, and you begin to get into rebellion. Of course, we don't want to do that. So, the disciples had every reason to be discouraged. Not only does the city now really, you know, a good chunk of them hate them. That's one thing when the city the city doesn't really know, it doesn't really care. Sometimes we, we don't like that. We're like, I wish everybody knew we were here. But it's another thing when they know you're there and they're actively finding you and seeking you out to make your life hard. I mean, we, there's a good chunk of Lloydminster that, that if you say, what do you think about the word, the word church? They, they, they would go, oh. we're changing that. We should change that. There's a good chunk of people now they just, you know, they just haven't thought about the churches in town. They haven't thought about Jesus in the last time. That's why there needs to be witnesses hitting the street. That's why there needs to be sons and daughters of the living God being sons and daughters of the living God. But it's another thing to have somebody just actively, not just, not just, not just disliking you, but going out and inciting violence. Can you believe this? This is finding people that haven't yet decided how they feel about you and saying you really need to hate these people. I am starting a website on why you need to hate them. YouTube clips on the website explaining why you should hate them. And not only should you hate them, I'm talking about not just a, just a, a grumbling, not just a, a bad feelings towards them. If you hate them, hate them right. Let's go beat them up. Let's go burn something down. Not only has this happened, citizens, disciples, but the two guys that started the whole thing, just left and said, we don't have to take this. Shook off their feet and you go, what, we have to take this? Sure, you guys, you're on your own. Okay, be good. We'll come back sometime. We'll write you a letter. Ah, bye. Well, I don't want to paint in the wrong light. I believe they did have a mission to go to. The apostles had the next place they needed to go to. They were merely obeying the command of Jesus Christ. But there are disciples who had to stay. And these disciples were not discouraged. They were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That is the only way to get through the storm. That is the only way to handle persecution is to be continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You have to have this. Satan immediately comes to steal the Word. He immediately comes to throw you off the path. He immediately comes to destroy what God has put in you. In fact, I guarantee anybody here who is here in these meetings in this weekend who received something from the Lord had to fight, some, at some point had to fight the enemy off. 
Because he's not just going to stand by and go, oh, that's nice. I'll move on to somebody else. No, no, he's coming straight, trying to knock you off, trying to take away what you received, whether it's the word, whether it's the part in you that believed and received and you were made whole, but then you believe a lie. Then you get discouraged because something didn't happen the way you thought it would happen. And he immediately tries to get you off right there. Well, what do you need? You need to be continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit so that you will be, have the strength to stand. What did Nehemiah say to the crowd of people who were weeping and for good cause? They were weeping because they didn't know about the law, so they were breaking the law. They were weeping in repentance, but Nehemiah realized now's not the time to be sorry for yourselves. Now's the time to embrace the fact that God has given you a second chance and He says, stop crying for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you're going to be strong to withstand the attack of the enemy, the persecution, the affliction that Jesus said arises not just alongside of the Word, but because of the Word. Persecution, affliction, because of the Word, you need to be continually filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. I recently read an account of a Marine, uh, and he wrote it years after he had... He had got after, out of the war in the Pacific. He was a mortar guy. And he was on Peleliu. He was in Okinawa. And he was talking about how when they would shell the enemy, a lot of times they couldn't see where they were. They're just kind of blindly shelling. And if you know what mortar is, it's just this little, basically, tube. So you stick a, a shell in and whoosh, comes right out the other side and explodes and hits something. So they're, they're shelling the, the enemy, but the enemy's entrenched and you can't really see them. But he said, we knew we were getting close. He said, we knew we were hitting our targets when the shelling coming our way got heavier. He said, that's how we judge whether or not we were hitting the target or not. When it started coming back at us really bad, we knew we were doing our job. And I was reading this going, I've been here. We know what this is like. You know your prayers are having an effect when it starts coming back at you really hard. You know when the enemy tries to destroy you, when he sends all of his weapons and fiery darts and all of this other stuff against you, you know you're doing some damage. A church that is making an impact on the world and their community is a church that's going to be under attack. But now it's a church that's also going to win battles. It's a church that's going to overcome. I did not say that you're going to be destroyed or, or, or lose any of these battles. We have every tool to win it. But it does mean you're going to experience Satan kind of, you know, not liking you. Throwing stuff back at you. That's how you know you're doing something right. And I'd rather get the approval from the, from the Lord. Let Him tell me whether I'm doing something right. That's your first way to know you're doing something right. Don't, don't just go by the enemy. But it, does, it is an indicator of your danger when you begin to see it coming right back at you. You know, we're hitting some targets. And if that's our case, we need to be continually filled. Continually filled, not continually full. You will be continually full if you're continually filled. This means that you have to ask the Lord. This means you have to put yourself in a position to receive. This means you have to understand the importance of that joy. How many of you know if you don't understand the importance of something, you don't ask for it? If you don't know you need it, you don't come to the table with your fork and knife and expect to receive it. 
This is why we need to be taught. This is why we need to see in the Word the promises of God. Because a man who is unaware of his own need will not ask. This is why the Scripture talks about the law being used to show us our own inadequacies. Why? So that you'd know that you needed Jesus. And so once you receive Jesus, you don't live according to the law, you live according to the Spirit. But before you got born again, it was used to show you, you don't measure up. So a man that's not aware of his need for Jesus, he's not going to fall on his knees and ask Jesus to come and be the Lord of his life. But a man that's keenly aware of his own inadequacy comes to the Lord and says, fill me up, make me new, take my life. So we've got to understand our need for the Holy Spirit and our need for that supernatural joy which is not affected by circumstances but actually affects circumstances. See, joy works from the inside and affects outward whereas happiness works out from the outward and affects you on the surface level. This is what it says in the next chapter, in chapter 14, verse 1. In Iconium they entered the synagogue, so Paul and Barnabas have moved on of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. I love that. They spoke in such a manner that many people believed. I want to speak in such a manner. But the Jews who disbelieved, uh uh-oh, you see, that's an action. That's not just the Jews who weren't of the people. This was, they, they actively disbelieved or disobeyed. They heard the word, said, we don't believe that. The Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles or the souls of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. So there's a but the Jews again. Oh man, those guys. Therefore, listen to this. (laughs) They stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered, embittered them against the brethren. And when these guys get embittered, they don't just sit at home going, I can't stand those guys. They get out and pick up some rocks. I mean, they know what to do. What's the response to this? Verse 3, therefore, because of that, they spent a long time there. (laughs) So you see, they're vindicated here. They did not just run away because things got hard. They had an assignment to do. And in this case, the Jews stir up trouble, embitter these people. And if you don't know who you are, if you're not full of the Spirit, if you're merely trying to please men, you'd run away. But it says because things got hard, they stayed longer. They're either crazy or they got something going. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly, listen to this, with reliance upon the Lord. Speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. You see, you can coast on your own ability when everybody likes you. You shouldn't, but you could. You could go to a conference of a bunch of word-believing Christian people that just love the Lord and they'll spit out any stick to eat some straw and they're, they're very happy and they love the Lord and they'll say amen and you can kind of just preach a nice motivational message and they'll be okay they may have said I wish there was more but they'll be fine you can't skate when you're amongst a group of people that are actively persecuting you and you get up in front of, a, of people that half the crowd hates you time to preach you better be speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace how was he testifying granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands that was his testimony that what they were saying was true if you were to keep reading you'd find it was a 
an attempt made on their life, but they were aware. They got out of there, and they continued to preach the word. And then they, we see them preaching in Lystra, and it's an awesome time there. But I want you to just focus on this. Two things. Focus first on the last verse in chapter 13 where you see that these people persecuted, these disciples that remain are continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Then you see next those same apostles that imparted that joy, that introduced them to the Holy Spirit. They come to a new city, and when they experience the same opposition, the Spirit doesn't give them the green light to go. It says, because things got harder, they stayed longer. If you're going to be that kind of believer, you've got to be full at all times with the Holy Spirit and with His joy, which keeps you from thinking, human beings hate me, I don't want to be around them anymore. I'm a failure. I'm a terrible speaker. I must be doing something wrong. The joy of the Holy Spirit wells up and you say, it doesn't matter what they think. I just care what the Lord thinks. I'm just going to do what He told me to do. And I'm going to take great joy in being persecuted for His name because before I got born again, people didn't like me just because I was, you know, not a nice guy. But at least now they don't like me because of Jesus. And that's an honor. But the key was with reliance upon the Lord. There's a pastor in Moscow, Russia. His name is Rick Renner. Many of you have heard him speak. He wrote a book recently. And why don't you turn it, uh, while I'm ex- telling you about this, turn to the book of Philippians. He wrote a book recently called uh, Light in the Darkness. Great book. Huge book. Great book. And it's about the first, well, it's volume one. So. It's talking about the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, It only talks about two of the cities because he put so much information. It's about Patmos, Ephesus, Ephesus and Smyrna. And a huge resource as to uh, the history and and the doctrine that's put out there. And I'd recommend it to anybody. But um, one of the things that he brought out the last time I heard him speak was... um, Paul's condition as he wrote the letter to the Philippians uh, he explained how many scholars will uh, have come to the consensus that while Paul was writing this letter he was in a place called the Mamertine prison uh, which is one of one of two at least of the worst prisons in the entire Roman Empire it was basically a, a sewage drain that had been converted into a prison um and they put these men in that prison. And uh, you're in a very small, confined space with a bunch of raw sewage uh, up to your thighs, in some cases your waist. Uh, you could not lie down in this prison because if you li- I mean, cause how can you lie down? You've you got raw sewage. Where are you going to lie down? You, you, you would drown in sewage. So... What you have to do is just rely on the fact that they've got your wrist chained up here and you just hang by your wrist if you want to catch some uh, sleep. problem is those, those shackles that are binding you to the wall are very rusty and infected and, and could cause something that they call limb rot, which would cause your uh, sores to become infected and you, you may uh, lose use of those limbs. You experience some, some great damage. Not only that, but when somebody died, they had a, a practice of often leaving the dead bodies for a while just to float around with the rest of the sewage. Uh, so 
not only is there raw, the smell of raw sewage, there's the smell of decaying corpses. And there are very large rats that are feeding on the sewage that are jumping from body to body, feeding on the bodies, and also, unfortunately, you're chained up feeding on you. It's at this point that the Apostle Paul writes what we've come to know as the Epistle of Joy. Now, there's a lot more about that place that he described that, that you could go research on your own, but you have to understand. A man in that position cannot survive for long. Uh, Apostle Paul, I believe, was in there for about a couple months. Peter was in there for nine months at one point. And it's amazing that ever, anybody would ever get out. But this is where he was. So near death, because many people died there, you just often didn't get out. So near death that when he talks about uh, deciding whether or not to depart, uh, Pastor Renner brought up the point uh, that to depart, the phrase he uses is a phrase you'd often use as a sailing term to let up a sail, catch the wind, and just go. You know what I mean? Like a, this, is, this is what we do, to just let up the sail and then depart. Like the wind would take you that way. Paul was so near death that at this point, if he wanted to, because you see him all throughout the book of Philippians, he's, well, through the first half, he's saying, I don't know if I should stay or I should go. You realize that at this point, he's so near death, he could just let his sail up and take off and go be with Jesus. And he says, that is much better. No kidding. <laughs> right? That is much better. Yeah. But he stays. You know, he gets out of that prison. There's a lot more to it than that. But um, in this, you find out he's talking about, he mentions joy in one way or the another 19 times in this letter. More than any other time, more than any time in any other epistle. During this stuff, you become you come very aware that joy is not an external thing. It is something that comes from the Most High God, which does not just happen. Now we know the Scripture talks about joy that you get. I mean that 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 you know our leaders will be able to give an account with joy if we've done a good job of what they've to- taught us and we've we've lived it out they give an account before the lord with joy um it talks about us appearing before the lord blameless so with great joy that we will see him again with joy these are all you know a response to something that's happening but you also see throughout the scriptures joy coming out of the worst circumstances that there is a joy that actually affects the circumstances around you There's an inner joy. Now, if those disciples were filled with joy, don't you think that they had to do something to draw that joy out? How many times does the Scripture talk? In in Philippians, we'll see several times where it uses the word rejoice. Now, we know in the Hebrew, there's different words for rejoice. There's, there's, there's different words that are translated as rejoice. Some is an act, some is an act of, of dancing. Some is an act of, of being glad. There's many things. There's not several words that are translated rejoice in the New Testament. There's just one word, rejoice. And it can come out in different ways. It doesn't necessarily mean you danced. It doesn't necessarily mean you shouted. You may have done all these things, but first of all, what it means is is that there was an action to the joy that was inside you. There was a drawing out. Because joy is a noun, right? It is a thing. It is something that you have. To rejoice is a verb. You ever thought about what that means when you're told to rejoice? 
But there is something that you've got to do to draw that joy which is inside you. Draw it out. To pull on that joy. To exult in that joy. If necessary, to dance. If necessary, to shout. But to rejoice. You see, because we could be filled with joy and not do anything with it. But the Scripture commands us to rejoice. Pull that joy out. Draw on that joy. Now, you were filled with the joy. There's two things that have got to happen. You've got to first be filled with joy. Second thing is, you've got to draw that joy out. It's like God is filling the well of your soul. He's filling it up. He's pouring into it. What do you got to do? You got to get your bucket and draw out of that well. Right? It doesn't just always bubble up. Now, sometimes it does. Sometimes you're so filled with joy, it just bubbles out. That, that I've got a river of life flowing out of me. You know, that's, that's often what happens, you know. Uh, out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water. Sometimes you're so full, it just bubbles out. But don't you know that sometimes you're in the midst of a really difficult circumstance, and those are times that sometimes it just doesn't bubble out. You maybe don't feel like a bubbly person when all this is happening. Maybe you have every reason in the world to be depressed, discouraged, beaten down. These are the times to take your bucket, lower it in, and draw out that joy. Rejoice! This is what Paul is commanding the Philippian churches. Even as he is in one of the worst situations you could find yourself, he says, rejoice. First Thessalonians 5, he says the shortest verse in the New Testament, shortest verse in the Bible. You say, I thought the shortest verse was Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in English. But the shortest verse in the original Greek is rejoice always. That's all he says in that verse. Well, of course, he goes on, says pray without ceasing, and he goes on. But here's one command. Rejoice. Always. Rejoice. How? Always. I mean, and you know you do not always have a reason that you can... I mean, an outside reason that you can think of to rejoice. But we've got a huge reason to rejoice when you consider what Jesus Christ has put in you and what He's done for you. Rejoice. Always. In Philippians 2, in verse 17, we're going to skip through. I'm just going to, uh, just, just for the purpose of showing you how often it's used as a command. Do you know when you've got to be commanded to rejoice, it's not the natural thing? Do you know, you know what I mean? If these people were just bubbling up with joy, they wouldn't have to be told all the time to rejoice. But maybe they have some bad things that are happening. Maybe they have some tough things that are happening. We find out that they didn't have tons of money and yet they were some of the biggest givers that God blessed and Paul said my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory they didn't start out with all the money but boy they knew how to give they were under some persecution but boy they knew how to rejoice what an example amen so here's what happens he says in verse 17 but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith what's he saying even if I die a martyr's death and that is something that's just like in the Old Testament a drink offering poured out on the sacrifice even if my life is poured out upon the sacrifice of your faith even if I die 
Even if this is the end for me, even if I feel like I'm being poured out, even as I'm alive being poured out, I rejoice. Listen to that. The first thing he says is, even if. The second thing he says is, I rejoice. Now you can fill a lot of blanks with this. You can make your own little Mad Lib and say, even if. I mean, come on, because being poured out as a drink offering, that doesn't sound fun. So you can put a lot of things there, right? Even if I get fired from my job for preaching the gospel, I rejoice. Even if Satan tries to attack me with sickness, disease, and all of these other things, I know who I am. I know I'm going to walk in healing. But first of all, I rejoice. Even if all of this stuff happens, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Isn't that huge? He says, I rejoice. And when I rejoice, I share it with you. This is what... Now, now listen. He becomes convinced that he's not going to die. He becomes convinced he's going to be delivered. You see, this is not... I'm not telling you to, to pray like a martyr and just go, I don't know. If, if you choose to leave me with this and bear this burden, I still rejoice. No, no, no. You know that you're going to win this battle. You know that you've got the promises of God on your side. I am not telling you to go, <laughs> even, even if the world falls on top of me, I still rejoice because at least I got my name written. Now, yeah, I'm not saying be defeatist. Rejoicing is actually the opposite. You're focusing on something bigger than what's happening right now. When you focus on what's happening right now, it's easy to get discouraged and lose. When you focus on what's happening, what's already happened, the eternal instead of the temporary. What's temporary? The stuff you can see. What's eternal? The stuff you can't see. So you focus on what you can't see. The unseen Jesus. The unseen anointing. The unseen victory of the cross and of its resurrection. You focus on those things instead of the immediate things that everybody else is looking at. You rejoice. And I share my joy with you all. You too. I urge you. Now this is not... Uh, please guys. This is an urging from the Apostle. I urge you. Rejoice in the same way. And share your joy with me. They don't feel like rejoicing. They have to be urged. But in order to share that joy with him, he says, if I can rejoice, you can rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in the same way that I'm rejoicing. What, do you, what does he mean by the same way? I'm rejoicing despite what's around me. I'm rejoicing despite what I can see because I know the end. So in the same way that I'm rejoicing, you rejoice, and we're going to share our joy with each other. Boy, if a church became like this, able to rejoice on command. Sometimes that's the hardest thing. Because we're Canadians. <laughs> Nobody tells us what to do. We don't let the Americans push us around. We don't let the government tell us what to do. They work for us. Rejoice. <laughs> rejoice. Amen. I'm independent. You don't own me. I'll rejoice if I feel like rejoicing. Sometimes it makes it harder to... When you got a problem and you come to the pastor and you say, this is what's going on in my life, and you want a sympathy card from them that, oh, you open it up and it plays, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And 
And you go, oh, nice and musical card, and you close it again. That's what you want from them. But instead, they give back to you. Be strong in the Lord. Get up. Get up off your knees. Right. Get up off your face and run the race. And you go, Ugh. And they say, rejoice. And you go, oh, I don't have to. I'll rejoice if I feel like it. And you walk away going, they had no compassion for me. You know? Well, sometimes you need a coach to say, get up! I'm not telling you to go watch Rocky, but if you've seen Rocky, you know Rocky doesn't need a coach to go, man, you got it hard, Rocky. Just stay down, Rocky. Just you. Just take a break. Take a snooze, Rocky. Now you need one that goes, get up, man, get up! Whatever else that guy said. So here's the Apostle Paul urging them to rejoice. And they have to read the letter and go, okay. And draw from that joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. If you're not full of the joy of the Holy Spirit, ask Him. Soak in the presence of God and get full so you have something to draw from. Because you can't rejoice if you've got nothing there. You can't draw from an empty well. A glass can only spill what it contains. So if you don't have it in you, get it. Then draw it out. Draw it out when you least feel like drawing it out. That's when you need to be urged. That's when you need to be told, commanded, rejoice. This is, this is coach. When you've tripped, fallen on your face in the middle of the race, this is your coach. Instead of getting you a band-aid, saying, get up and run. There'll be time for band-aids after the battle. Run the race. There are times, guys, when you want to be comforted. And the Holy Spirit, thank God, is your comforter. Boy, He comforts the afflicted. He comforts the lowly. I am not telling you you're not going to be comforted. But there are times you want to be pampered. That can happen later. All right? There's, there's sometimes, guys, where, and this is the truth, when you're in the middle of the battle, there's no time to put a bandage on. You can get bandaged up when the battle's won. But there are times when you have to just keep fighting. You have to get up and fight again until you see the victory. Then you can go back and say, all right, let's take a look and see what needs to be rebuilt. But there are times when you just need to be told, get up. It's not always fun to hear, but it's what you need to hear. Listen to this. Philippians 3 says, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That's another command, isn't it? Not a suggestion, not a thought, not a piece of advice. It is a command from a father to a son. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. Now he goes on and talks about quite a bit of other things, but for this Circumstance, We're going to skip them. I encourage you to read it on your own. In chapter 4, verse 4, you know this well. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you didn't catch it, he goes, Again, I will say, Rejoice. 
And my Bible that rarely uses, the New American Standard rarely uses exclamation marks. It's a very conservative translation. It doesn't believe exclamation marks are that needed that often. You see an exclamation mark here because this is intensive. This is a shout. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. If it had to be repeated, you need to hear it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say Rejoice. Do you ever see, I mean, you rarely see this throughout the whole Bible, a repeating right after. But it's so important. Now we hear this, and we think it means have joy, and it does. It does mean have joy. But it also means draw that joy out. Draw what's on the inside of you, however you have to do that, to the outside of you. First in the inside, let it fill you. Begin to rejoice. This means to force yourself to draw that joy out that's in you. Now, if it's tied to the Holy Spirit, guys, you've got to get filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Once you're full, hey, pray in the Spirit. Sing. That's one of the greatest things. You may not be a good singer, but if you're depressed, sing. Don't sing the blues. <laughs> sing praise. Because what does the blues focus on? I mean, I, I like the style of the blues, but you begin to sing the blues, what are you singing? You're singing the stuff that happened to you. You're singing about yourself. What do you need to do? You need to praise. You need to sing about Him for a while. Find a song that, doesn't say, that, that rarely says, I or me. These are good songs. Songs that, that barely mention personal pronouns, these are good songs that talk all about Him. Find those songs. And then you can add some eyes and me's and I will rejoice and I will exalt and all of these other things. But, but make them heavy. Find a song that's heavy on who he is and light on what's going on with you. Positive or negative, light on what's going on with you. Heavy on what's going on with him. Boy, that'll lift your spirit because he gets bigger. I believe that the fear of the Lord is God getting bigger in your mind. There's honor, there's reverence. As he gets bigger... Not only do you want to please Him more than anybody else, He's bigger in your mind, He's bigger in your thoughts, He's bigger in your life. He's the only one whose opinion counts, but He also becomes bigger than every little problem you've brought to the table. As He becomes greater, everything else becomes smaller. Begin to praise and worship. Rejoice. Sing a song. Force yourself to dance. Speak the Word. Force yourself to smile. Laugh. Rejoice. Draw out from the well that is within you. It is a verb. It is not a noun. It is not a state of being. It is an action. If it's an action, it can, I mean, it's an action that's very broad. It can show up in different ways, right? We already talked about in Hebrew, there's different words for rejoice. But let me just say this. It's got to be an action. It can't just be a feeling or a state of being. It has to be active. Let your joy take action. And when you do that, you're able to share that with others. What did Paul say? Once you when I rejoice, I can share it with you. When you rejoice, you share it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In verse 10, of course, you know he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were conserved before, but you lacked opportunity. 
So this time he's tying his rejoicing to something that happened. You realize that um, what he means is that they've started giving money that he may never be able to use <laughs> unless he gets out. Because money doesn't do you a lot of good when you're hanging by your wrists in a prison. But there's a little box that they allowed for Roman citizens that they allowed you to put money in just in case they ever get out. The Philippians started putting money in that box and sending Epaphroditus to see if he needed anything to comfort him. All of these things, he said, I'm rejoicing to see this. He could have easily said, that's not really a big deal. Compared to what I'm going through, that's, that's nothing. But instead, he focuses on the things that God is doing. That's what you've got to do. Don't focus on what God's not doing. Focus on what God is doing. In there, you see your salvation. Amen? So what are we saying? We've got to have two actions take place in our life. You've got to be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And then you've got to draw from that well that has been filled. You've got to draw out and rejoice. That's your action. God's action is to fill you. Your action is to draw it out. Now this may be good when we hear good news. This may be good when people get born again. The Scripture says that we're to rejoice just as the angels rejoice. But it is absolutely necessary to your survival when the, the hard times come and you're standing in faith, fighting the battle, knowing you'll win. But rejoice. Always. Again, I say rejoice. Amen. Would you stand up? Now, another side of being Canadian is not just that we're fiercely independent. We're independent when we want to be independent. There's times where we're like the opposite of independent. But... There are times where we just we just want to do things. We just we just don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We want to do it. But there's other times too, where as Canadians we can be somewhat um, calm <laughs> in how we act. We're not as loud as those neighbors south of the border. Perhaps we tell ourselves. This is what we tell ourselves. Come on. <laughs> and living in the cold causes you to be conservative about your actions because you don't just run out in the middle of the cold weather. You could die. So we think. Maybe maybe we'll just be a little bit more conservative in how we act. Maybe we'll conserve our strength. The thing is, you cannot conserve your strength by holding it in, spiritually. In order to gain strength, you first got to rely on His strength, and then use what you've got, and you grow in strength. That's like saying, I'm going to save my muscles, so I'm never going to use them. <laughs> what happens? You get weaker. Why am I getting weaker? I haven't used them. I'm saving them up. I should be stronger. Doesn't work. You gain muscle by using muscle, right? So we grow in joy. We grow in faith. We join, grow in the Holy Spirit by using what's been put inside of us. So I'm going to ask you, throughout this week, pull out, put joy into action. How are you going to do that? Let the Lord tell you. It may be dancing for no which is so weird. It may be shouting in the middle of the street. It may be laughing when you have no reason to laugh. It may be singing when you've got no reason to sing a happy song. But draw. Now, if you've got nothing to draw from, be filled. Well, in fact, let's do this right now. Let's pray. And we're going to ask the Lord, just as they did in Acts 4, to fill us. To fill us, to fill us. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. We know that your spirit, the, that, the, that we've received the kingdom, that we are citizens of your kingdom. And you said the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we ask you for a filling of joy in the Holy Spirit. Fill us with joy. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Continually, not just once, but throughout our days, throughout our nights. Fill us with the joy of the Lord. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us, O oh Lord. Fill your church so that we can stand in the middle of a battle and laugh. So that we can stand in the middle of the battle and sing a song of victory. So that we can stand in the middle of the battle and know for the joy set before us, we will walk out what you've called us to do. I ask you, Lord, to fill every servant that is asked tonight. Everyone that asks you, may you fill them with joy. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, give them, give them the way. Give them and show them how to act out that joy. How to rejoice in the Lord when it seems difficult. Rejoice in the Lord when the trial comes. Rejoice in the Lord when persecution arises. Rejoice in the Lord even when things are calm and everything seems right. To rejoice. For our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice, for the King has already conquered. Rejoice, for through Him we are more than conquerors. Rejoice, for He has died and set us free. Rejoice, because we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Rejoice, because we have a great salvation. Rejoice, for the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. Rejoice always. Cause your people to be a people of immutable, indescribable, and unshakable joy. Full of glory. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. We glorify you. We rejoice in your name. We rejoice in your word. We rejoice in your strength, for it is good. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Fill us with your joy and with the Holy Spirit continually. May the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of His servants. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.